Thank you to Felicia. Thank you, Fonda, for leading us in worship today. Praise God. Amen. And when we were singing the song about the goodness of God, there were so many things that were crossing my mind. Thank you, Deacon Ron. So many things that were crossing my mind. One of them, uh, when I think about the goodness of God, is that Larry Warren is alive. Amen. Larry, would you stand, please? You guys, this is Larry Warren. He has been on the mission field for over three decades, maybe four. And uh, about two months ago, he was in Madagascar. And while they're ministering, he had a heart attack. And, uh, but God is so good. Mary was there to help and assist. And um, he happened to be in one of the best nations in Africa to receive medical help. So they were able to stabilize him. Uh, he was able to get back home here. And, uh, and they were talking triple bypass surgery that he would need. But as we prayed for God's healing touch, because God had already kept him and preserved him, uh, the doctors looked and looked again and said, you know what, I, I don't think we need triple bypass. We're going to put a stent in to try to clear up the back valves in your heart to get the blood flow. So uh, he's here today. Alive by the grace of God. And uh, when I think about the goodness of God, I also think of Andre and Loretta Hearn. Uh, They just showed me as they came up during the meet and greet, Loretta's baby bump. A baby's bump. My God. Wow. 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 And she said, Pastor, we came to this church as little children. And now look at us. I'm going to have a child. So when God lets you live to see these kinds of things, it's his goodness. Oh, boy. I could go back into that song. Thank you, God, for your goodness and for your mercy to us. Uh, yesterday was the 3rd of September. And 27 years ago yesterday, we, Strong Tower Bible Church, had our first service in the Franklin YMCA's aerobics room 27 years ago yesterday. And again, when we think about his goodness, his grace, that he would call a group of people to come together and worship him, uh, to be a part of his body, a local expression of what he's doing around the world, and that he uh, called us with an intentional mission like my friend from Brentwood shared about the diversity that God called us to be a diverse church culturally and ethnically, economically, denominationally, in every way. Um, And so he has been faithful to bless this work. And I believe our best days are ahead of us as a church. It gets sweeter and sweeter as the days and as the years go by. And, uh, And so on Wednesday of this week, after you've barbecued tomorrow, on Wednesday, we're gonna have a celebration here at the church at 6.30, um, we're going to have a, a time of celebration. So we're catering a meal for you, uh, all ages, children, students, and adults. We're going to have a meal here in the fellowship hall. We've also uh, got uh, some wonderful cakes that are coming as well as we celebrate being together. And while you are celebrating in the fellowship hall, I will join the party momentarily. I will be in my office doing an online interview with a dear friend of mine. And uh, let's see here, he, he played a big role in Strong Tower Bible Church getting started. And so uh, he's a mystery guest. I won't reveal it until pre- probably Monday or Tuesday, but I'll be in the office. Doreen and I will interview this mystery guest and then we'll come and join the party in the fellowship hall. So come on out Wednesday and then the following week we'll get into our Bible study and things like that. The students, I believe, are gonna be meeting The children are going to be meeting, so the campus is going to be crawling with all of you this coming Wednesday, September 7th, 6.30. Amen. Come on in. And uh, Pastor, do they they need to register for the meal so we know how many? Do they go on the app for that? The app or online. See, see, I know how some of y'all are at Strong Tower, though. Y'all don't sign up, but y'all show up. And then if there's not enough food, y'all ready to tear up stuff. 
All right, so sign up, y'all. Help us out so we know how many um, uh, filet mignon steaks. I mean, <laughs> y'all really going to be there, right? No, no, no. We, we're going to have something for you. But, yeah, it's just going to be a time to be together. You know, one of the things that COVID did over those two-plus years is that it really kept us from fellowshipping and being together. And so we're going to be together, just be together, and that'll be a good thing. We got some trivia, some prizes, some things that will be uh, going on, so come on out for that. And then on Sunday, as you saw in the new uh, video announcement reel, it is the uh, Sunday we're going to celebrate the anniversary. And one of the, th the things they did mention is that we are putting together an anniversary choir. So many of you, I'm told, are going to sing in this choir next week, all right? But uh, uh, keep us in prayer because some of our musicians, many of our musicians are going to be on the road next week, and Lasagna has been working feverishly to make sure we have quality musicians uh, to take their place next Sunday. But, but whether we got to get up here and go Acapulco, we are going to worship the Lord. Amen. And in your Sunday best at that. Uh, 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 so so we, we want to have fun. We want to have fun. Uh, so put on your best, whatever that is for you, whatever that is for you, and come. And I'm going to have a couple of judges, not the judges I'm going to talk about today who are condemning people in Scripture, but I'm talking about judges who are going to kind of, you know, take notes about the hat and the, and the stockings and the gloves and all that, whatever you want to wear, you know, and, uh, and they're going to let me know who is the best dressed next Sunday. All right. And the morale, I've got gift cards. For whoever the male and the female best-dressed adult is, okay? $50. Now, now that, that's worth getting dressed up for. We're getting dressed up for God, and I'm getting dressed up trying to get this $50 next week, all right? So, so, so we're going to give those away. And then for the students, you know, well, you know what? Students are coming in late. So I had these Nike gift cards I'm giving to one, well, two students next week, but I guess I'm going to have to keep giving them out to adults next week. We, we can have four prizes next week. I see that sister right there. I want that Nike gift card. Maybe you can get it next week. Let's see. So I've got two of these, and i got two of these. We're just going to have some fun, y'all. Uh, uh, we're not feeding y'all next Sunday, okay? So don't come here looking to eat after church. We're eating on Wednesday. We're letting you go because the NFL starts next Sunday, okay? We, we want to give you time. Oh, NFL, get a hand clap. <laughs> Titans don't play till 3, so we might keep y'all till about 2.30 next Sunday. Huh? If the spirit get to moving. Because my pastor's coming from Baltimore, and he loves to preach. But I done told him, I said, now, I know you can preach for an hour, but that don't mean we can listen for, for an hour. Now, that's where I get my long-winded preaching from, from my pastor in Baltimore. I hope he doesn't see this video. But, yeah, he's coming next week. Reverend Wayne Cockrell, Genesis Bible Fellowship, my God. He's going to preach a good word next week. And then uh, another thing next Sunday, this is what I'm going to do. For those of you who've been coming to church for a while, coming to church for a while, but you aren't official members yet, here's what we're going to do next week. We're going to open up the floodgates on Anniversary Sunday. We're going old school. We're going to extend an invitation for you to come and join the church. Next week, when you come forward, you will be classified as a member if you're a believer in Jesus. You don't have to go through a pre-membership class. We're going old school. If you come forward next week, we're going to receive you as a member of Strong Tower Bible Church. So, so, so this is your time to walk the aisle next Sunday to officially join the church. I didn't get a hand clap on that. Amen. I mean, Dorothy said it first. There's no place like home. And you know this is home, and it's time to make it official. You don't want to be a sheep out here without a sheep pen and a sheep fold and without shepherds. Let's make it official next week. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn over to John chapter 8. The Gospel of John chapter 8. And did y'all like the video announcement? Did y'all like that? Yeah. All right, we're going to be doing more of that, okay? Uh, again, we're just trying to uh, be innovative, but also um, good stewards of the people and the time that God has given us. So we're, we're continuing to work on how we work on communication 
here at the church. All right. John chapter 8. And let's go old school again. And let's stand for the reading of the word of God. If you can. If you can. John chapter 8. Beginning at verse 10. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So with your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, Let's talk today on the subject of go and sin no more. Let's pray. Dad, thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for giving us your word. But above all, thank you for giving us your word who is your son wrapped in human flesh. Thank you for Elder Paul leading us in communion today to be reminded of the great sacrifice that your son made in order to save us from our sins. Thank you that he became the Passover lamb. Thank you for the body and blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that our sins have been washed away. Thank you that we are justified. And today we're going to learn that we are no longer condemned in your presence. So thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news, Father. Now, Lord, I pray that you would help me preach your word. Help me get out of the way. Holy Spirit, thank you for the gift that you've given me to preach and to teach. Lord, I pray that that gift would operate well today. And after we have heard the word, give us the strength to live the word. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. John chapter 8. John chapter 8 contains one of the greatest stories in all of the Bible. If you like a story with a happy ending, This is it. If you like a story with a new beginning, this is it. If you like a story that overcomes evil with good, this is it. If you like a story that exposes injustice and defeats it, this is it in John chapter 8. If you like a story that confronts misogyny, And a story that empowers women. Strong Tower, this is it. If you like a story that teaches about the power of God's grace, this story is it. And if you like a story that reveals the profound wisdom of our Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this is it. So if we begin at verse 1 of John chapter 8, let's walk through this passage and see what the Lord has for each and every one of us. Verse 1 begins, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Verse 2, now early in the morning. Just keep that in your mind. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down And he taught them. So Jesus is at the temple. And he's there, according to chapter 7, to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And this is one of the celebrations of the Hebrew people where they would come to Jerusalem to celebrate in such a way where they would remember God's delivering power in their history with their people. Because while they were coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land, they were walking in circles basically for 40 years in the wilderness. And while they were there, they would have to set up tents or set up booths, tabernacles, day after day. So once they got through the wilderness years and they moved into Canaan, into the promised land, one of the things that they were commanded to do was to remember from whence they came. And they were to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. 
that God provided for them in the wilderness by sending down manna from heaven, bringing water out of rocks, that he would provide light for them at night, a cloud by day. So it was a time for them to remember from whence they came because God wasn't going to move that way as they were settled now into the promised land. But they were not to forget how he used to move when they were in the desert years. So every year as they celebrated Passover, every year they were also to celebrate booths or tabernacles. This is the setting in which Jesus comes into the temple to sit down and teach. And more than likely, while he's teaching, he is in what is called the court of the women, Because in a moment, a woman is going to be brought in. And so there were places in the temple that certain people could and could not go. And so in this area called the court of the women, everyone could come. But then there would be a court for the men. There's another court called the court of the Gentiles. Then there's a court for the Levites, on and on, up to the most holy place where only the high priest could go once a year. So Jesus is there at the temple, sitting down, teaching as rabbis would often do. Verse 3, then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, verse 5, in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. All right. Jesus is teaching. He's teaching the people. There's a diverse crowd there. There are men and women. He's sitting down and he's teaching. But his teaching is interrupted by a group of people called the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes were the people who would meticulously copy the word of God. They didn't have printing presses back then. They had people who would copy the word meticulously by hand. Those were the scribes. And as a result of doing that, they felt that they had a superior knowledge of the word because they copied the word. But then there were the Pharisees, that group of self-righteous religious leaders that really the people looked at and said, man, we can never be as holy as those people are. But they were also very, very, very legalistic and self righteous. So this group is coming and they interrupt the master's teaching and they bring a woman. They place her in the midst of the whole crowd. And they're trying to test and trip Jesus up because they are saying, master, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says we should stone her. But what do you say? So now here's the deal. If Jesus doesn't quote unquote stone her, it's as if he's condoning her behavior. And that would not be good. But if he just lets her go, and let me back it up. If he condones and lets her go, that sends the wrong message to the people. But if he condemns her and has her stoned, that will then ruin his reputation as being a friend of sinners. So how does he work this out? So they're they're testing him. Now, let me back up here and, and just call out what you see. How do you catch someone in the very act? And there's only one person there. So this was a setup. This was something unrighteous. They cared nothing about this woman. Um, She was just uh, 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 being used to get to the point that they wanted to disqualify Jesus and his ministry. And so this woman was insignificant. Whether she died did not mean anything to them. But the fact that they caught her in adultery means that they set up the adultery to begin with. And I told you that this was a time of tabernacles or booths. And so the city, the people would leave the city, go outside of the walls of the city and set these booths up for seven or eight days. And they would live in the booths and celebrate in the booths as a way, again, to commemorate their history. So in these booths, there was often, according to various historians, a lot of immorality going on. 
because people were not in their houses, but they were in these tents and there was celebrating and things going on. So it was quote unquote easier to compromise with someone and it would be easier to set up something whereby a man who was married slept with a woman who was married. One or both of them were married uh, in order for adultery to occur. So they set this up in the very act, which means they're watching this. Not only do they set it up, but they watch it, meaning that they're voyeurs. And then they take the woman, but not the man. It's kind of like if you grew up in traditional churches back in the day, and if a girl got pregnant out of wedlock, they would bring the girl in front of the church, but not the, the accomplice to what happened. You know, and so, so, so there was this culture that was a male-dominant culture that was very unhealthy in many ways, and women were seen as properties and expendable. And so this woman was brought, but not the man. But if these scribes really knew the word of God, they would knew that the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verse 22, guys, you have Deuteronomy 22. It says, if a man is found lying with a woman, married to a husband, then both of them shall die, the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away the evil from Israel. So if you want to really keep the word, it should be two people here and not one. But that's how legalists are. They know how to adjust the word to accommodate their agendas. And so we're going to get her killed because we're trying to get ultimately Jesus killed. Religion is a terrible thing. It's a deadly master because religion was going to kill that woman that day. And religion, listen to this, mixed with politics was going to get Jesus crucified in a few days. So, so religious people can many times be some of the coldest, cruelest, cutthroat people you'll ever want to meet. And here they are. Jesus, what should be done with her? Well, what does the master do? Because this woman had no power. This woman had no voice. This woman had no help. She had no hope and she had no justice. She had no options. She had no future. She was on death row. She had no value to them, no worth to these religious zealots. She also had no chance. But Jesus was there. I said she had no chance, but she had Jesus. And she didn't even know that Jesus was going to be there. She was just caught. She was set up and she was caught and they were taking her in order to stone her. And in those days, they would stone you by casting stones down on you. You would be on the ground and they would bring a large stone or a multitude of stones and they would stone you. So the judgment would come down on you. But Jesus was there. But Jesus was there. And the Bible says in verse 6, but Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Can we learn something from the master? Just because somebody's asking you a question, that don't mean you need to always answer it. You don't always have to get involved in people's games. Their motive is to trap the master. But the master's like, you know, just writing on the ground and watch this with his finger. Now, they're talking about how this woman broke the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But the master, Jesus, kneels down and writes on the sand in the court of the women with his finger. And for Bible students, this takes us back to the book of Exodus chapter 31. When Moses had come down from the mountain with the tablets of God, having on them the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says they were written with the finger of God. And so Jesus, with his finger, is writing in the sand. And that reminds me that he is the one who gave the law. He is the one who has authority. 
And some people say, man, pastor, what was Jesus writing in the ground? We don't know. We can speculate, but we don't know for sure. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 7, so when they continued asking him, he raised up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. My God. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now again, some thinkers say perhaps he was writing the name of the man who should have been there but was not there to let them know, I know what y'all are doing. Well, maybe he wrote down the sins of these dudes who were the lynch mob before Ice Cube, it was them. Maybe he's writing their sins down of all the things that they were doing last night and early that morning. Again, we don't know for sure, but he just stoops down because Jesus knew, I just dropped a bomb on y'all now. It, it, he who is without sin, y'all throw the first stone and la da So they had to think about what he said. They came to trap him, but in essence, the truth is what trapped those guys. And so he raised up. Verse 8, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9, then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Wow. And Jesus was left alone. Now, when it says left alone, he's left alone from the lynch mob. But the crowd that was there hearing him teach, they were there. The teaching was interrupted by this crew because they wanted to kill this woman in order to trap Jesus. And he's left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Now, you got to watch that word accuser. Because it means to speak down about someone. Uh, Satan in the book of Revelation is called the accuser of the brothers and sisters. And so they are accusing for the sake of seeing this woman condemned and judged. They are speaking down, coming down on her, that judgment might come down on her. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? The word condemn means judge. The word condemn means to damn. Where are the ones who have condemned you? And she said uh, in verse 11, no one, Lord. Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. The men who were going to take my life are no longer here, Lord. Do you see what she called him? She called him Lord. Now, it could mean, you know, sir, or a respectful way of saying master. But one thing I know she didn't call him, she didn't say rabbi, which, again, a general term. She said Lord, which could also mean God, which could also mean, again, master, capital M. I'm believing that in this moment where she was about to die and God stepped in and filled this moment with grace and saved her life, she called this man Lord. Do you call him Lord? Is he your Lord? Is he in control of your life because he has saved your life? He touches her in just a moment and she says, no one, Lord, and Jesus said to her, verse 11, neither do I condemn you. The only one who had the right to condemn because he had never committed sin. Those guys committed sin, which is why they had to walk away and drop their stones. But the one who was perfect said, I don't condemn you. I'm not going to, to judge you. All right, now, Jesus, wait a minute, time out. Are you just saying you're letting her sin go? No, 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 no. God never lets sin go. Um, he cannot forgive 
without there being a payment. He cannot pardon without there being a payment. He just can't let sin go. Sin has to be paid for. And so really what I see here is that he doesn't condemn this woman because he knows that in just a short amount of time, I'm going to be condemned for what she did. Some of y'all didn't get that. The one who never knew any sin is going to become sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He's going to take our place, the just for the unjust. So so what he's saying is, whatever you did in the booth with that man, I am going to pay for. I am going to die for. So I can let you go because I know what's about to happen. My blood is going to pay for this sin. How do you think people in the Old Testament were saved? They were saved by faith, looking forward to the Messiah who was to come. We are saved by faith looking back to the Messiah who came, which is why we have communion to remember him and what he did. And so Jesus said, girl, I got you. I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. I could, but God the Father is going to judge me for what you've done and what you've done and what you've done and what I've done. That's love. Wow. That's the gospel. My God. And then he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Oh, Lord, help me right here. Help me with this right here. He says, "Uh, neither do I condemn you. So you've got this new position now that you are not condemned, which means you are not guilty. He just spoke the word right there. You are not guilty. You are not condemned. You are not judged. So you've got this position now. And out of that position is going to come a new practice. That new identity you got of not being judged, which also means that you have been justified, declared righteous based on what Jesus has done for you. In the sight of God, you look just like Jesus because his righteousness has been given to you by faith and not by works. And so Jesus says, uh, you got this position now. Now live up to what you've attained. Live like who you are now. Go and sin no more. Don't miss the order, though. Don't miss the order. Don't miss the order. Some of us grew up hearing, go and sin no more, and you won't be condemned. That's what some of us grew up hearing, that if you live right, you won't be condemned. But if you live right, you will go to heaven. Can I say that again for the people in the back who think that, man, if I live right, I'm going to be right with God. No such thing as living right. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. And even when you get saved, you still don't live right all of the time. I'm talking about grace today. God's unmerited, unearned faith. What did she do to earn this? Nothing. She could only receive it on the spot. She left out better than how she came in. And that's how it ought to be. Whenever we spend time with God, we'll come into his presence in his church. We're going to leave out better than we came in because we're going to be reminded of who we are and whose we are and what he did for us. That's the good news. So don't switch that order because who you are by way of your new position and identity is the motivation for us to go and live a different life. And when he says go and sin no more, what's he trying to say to her that she's going to live a life of sinless perfection? No such thing. But what he is saying is that I don't expect you to do what you used to do that got you in this predicament in the first place. Stop committing adultery. Oh, you got to have a savior every now and then that tells you to stop sinning. If your savior doesn't tell you to stop sinning, you may not know the savior. When he healed the guy in John chapter 5, the lame man by the pool, Jesus healed the brother. Then he came back to him later and said, now, now, I've healed you, 
But, 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 but you need to stop doing what you were doing or something worse is going to happen to you. John 5, 14, implying that what the, the dude was doing is one of the things that led to him being crippled and laying by the pool. So Jesus said, you need to stop whatever you were doing that had you crippled. Stop doing that. And every now and then, Jesus will come by and say, stop watching that. Jesus will come by and say, stop saying that. <laughs> stop doing that. Watch out. Stop eating that. Uh, uh, uh. Stop thinking that. Because if he doesn't do that, then, then you may not have Jesus. You, you may have somebody else. Because a lot of times we want this greasy grace. I just want to be freed from my sin. But I don't want to be held accountable for how I live. No, 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 no. Jesus is just not about getting folk to heaven. He's about folk living like heaven until they get there. It's called sanctification. It's a two-sided coin of our salvation with God. One side is justification, the other side is sanctification. And so sanctification is not me trying to do it in my own strength. No, no, no. Sanctification is God working in me and working on me and working through me that I may live the life that Jesus wants me to live. And it's a day-to-day -day process. But what's the motivation for her to change her life? Because I'm sure she may have walked away from there and stumbled. I'm sure she may have walked away from there and had some temptation. She may have even uh, committed adultery again. We don't know. But one thing I do know, if she did go back and commit adultery again, she couldn't commit adultery like she used to do before she met Jesus. So I, I'm coming down your street. I'm dropping mail off in your box. Because, again, many of us, we have good intentions, but we fall back into traps, okay? And then we feel guilty and condemned. Why did I do this again? Why, why did I do this again? But here's the good thing about having the Holy Spirit. He will convict and convince us of sin, and when we sin, we grieve him. We quench him. In other words, you can't sin like you used to and get away with it like you used or at least thought you got away. You can't sin and be happy as a Christian. You're going to sin and be miserable as a Christian because your relationship to sin has changed because you've developed the relationship with Jesus now. And you're going to fall and say, man, I'm tired of this, man. A, a just man falls seven times and rises back up. At some point you say, Lord, that's it. I'm done with this. And I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to leave him alone. I'm going to leave her alone. I'm going to walk with you for real. Many of us, we've been there. That's part of our testimony. Because you can't meet Jesus and stay the same. I'm in process, but I'm not who I used to be anymore. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Any woman be in Christ, she is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I got a new walk now. I got a new talk now. He saved me from my sin. I'm a new person now. I looked at my hands and my hands look new. I looked at my feet and they did too. I'm a new person now. Why? Because Not because of religion, but because I met Jesus. You can't be the same when you meet Jesus. So I want to believe this sister walked away in newness of life. She called him Lord. And her lifestyle change came as a result of the fact that he says, I don't condemn you, sister. He was probably the first man who ever spoke life to her without trying to take something away from her. He's probably the first man that just loved her for her and not for something she needed to do. When you get a love like that, it'll change your life. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It talks about don't you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering. Not knowing the goodness of God leads you to repentance. His goodness will lead you to repentance. What is repentance? Doing the right thing. It is turning and walking where God would have you to walk. Because you were going this way, doing your own thing. Walking in darkness, but you repent and you start walking in the light now. It's a choice every day for all of us. It's his goodness. It's his love. Not his law that leads us to repentance. The law shows that I need help. I broke it. I break it. I need the one who kept it and died for lawbreakers. Man, that's the change in my life. His goodness leads to 
repentance. He's been so good to me, I want to be good to him. Oh, God. That's grace. That, that's the motivation of grace in a new life, my God. I wonder if you've ever had the joy of hearing Jesus speak over you. I don't condemn you. Where are your condemners? They're gone. Neither do I condemn you. No matter what kind of life she was living, living, and that probably wasn't the first time she was in bed with somebody she shouldn't have been with, as well as all the other sins of lust and coveting and judging, all those things that we all do. She heard, I don't condemn you. Have you heard that from the master? Has he ever said to you, I don't condemn you. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. Because although we're born again, a lot of times we'll feel condemned, judged, and this is where we have to preach the gospel to ourselves as Christians. The gospel isn't just for lost people. The gospel is for saved people, meaning that the gospel is for everybody. Amen. I preach to myself. I am not condemned. Why? Because Jesus was condemned on my behalf. And so right now, when I'm feeling guilty, right now, when I'm feeling sad, right now, when I'm feeling depressed, right now, when I'm feeling alone, the Bible says I am not condemned right now. So the question is, will I trust the truth or will I lean on my own understanding? Will I walk in my feelings or will I walk in faith of what God says about me? No longer condemned. I got to let y'all in on something. Uh, just about every Sunday afternoon after church, after preaching, I'm sitting in my lazy boy. Sometimes I watch Sanford and Son reruns. <laughs> we'll find a movie to watch, but a lot of Sundays I sit in grief, in sorrow, and in sadness. Preaching God's word is not easy. Leading God's people is even harder. And there are times I'm doing a playback on Sunday evening, what I didn't say right, what I forgot to say, who I didn't speak to, the person whose name I forgot, all this stuff that's going on, and I'm feeling bad. And I'll start condemning myself. But it's not only me. Many times it's the enemy playing with my mind, sending lies to my mind. Man, you're a terrible leader. You're a terrible pastor. You're a terrible preacher. I know you may not think it, you know, because I look cool on Sunday morning, but Sunday evening, man, I'm tore up from the floor up many times, which is why one of the best times to pray for me is to pray for me after I preached. Because you've given yourself, you, you poured yourself out, and you're more vulnerable and susceptible to the lies of the enemy and the lies you tell yourself. That's when the Spirit whispers and says, you are not condemned. What about that lady, Lord, that looked at me, Lord? That brother that looked at me like he could, if looks could kill. Lord, I, I saw people mad with me. Uh, 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 if I don't condemn you, who are they? Don't come under anyone's judgment. I've taken you out from under my judgment. So if they want to judge you, who are they? Well, Lord, I messed up. Lord, I thought that. Lord, I didn't say that. Well, if I don't condemn you, who are you to condemn yourself? See, your problem, Chris, is that you're centering yourself. As opposed to centering me and my mercy, my grace, and my love. Bruh, I use you, but it ain't about you. Stop condemning yourself. 
Oh, I'm preaching this for myself. Oh, I need this for me. Oh, get your eyes off of you and get your eyes on me. You are not condemned. You will never, ever be condemned. You are set free. Just like I told that lady to go and sin no more. Within that word go is freedom. That comes out of position. Girl, you ain't condemned. Go. Chris, stop condemning yourself. Go. Be free because you are free. I know what this lady's feeling. I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Well, in verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them. Again, them, the people who were still there watching all of this go down. They thought it was going to be a stoning, but there was a saving that occurred. And Jesus says to them, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is one of his many I am declarations in the Gospel of John. I am, ego in me, I am that I am. He is the eternal God. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here he says, I am the light of the world. Now, as he says this, I told you it was early in the morning. Sun was rising. Sun was out. And as he says he's the light of the world, people can look and see the sun S-U-N, which is the major star in our galaxy. It dwarfs the size of the planet Earth and all the other planets in our solar system. The sun is mega. And by looking at the sun, you get a picture of God in Psalm 8411, where the Bible says the Lord God is a sun and shield. The book of Malachi, the Lord will rise, uh, the son of righteousness, with healing in his wings. And so when Jesus says he's the light of the world, you think the sun is something. I'm the S-O-N that made the S-U-N. I'm the light of the world. And then for them Jews who were there, they're in the temple, and there was this big menorah with nine different candelabras on it. That spoke of God being with Israel as that fire by night. So they would light this can these candles as a picture of God being their light. And Jesus, right there in the temple, I'm the light of the world. He who follows after me will not walk in darkness. You know why? Sister girl was walking in darkness. And when you walk in darkness, you be tripping. Did you get the ebonics? Did you get the sermon illustration? When you're walking in darkness, you trip, you fall. But now she's not in darkness anymore. She's in light and she's following me because I'm her nightlight. And when you follow after me, you're not walking in darkness. You're walking in the light, which means you're not going to trip and fall like you did when you were living in darkness. Because he calls us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. Is anybody with me? But you're looking at a man who trips. From time to time. I got some stairs in my house. When you come in my house, got some stairs. I trip up them stairs. I trip down them stairs. I, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, but I will trip up the stairs. My kids will hear it. Dad fell again. Uh, I, I trip down the stairs. But the time I trip the most is at night when it's dark. I'm going downstairs to get one more bottle of water. I'm going downstairs to get one more ice, one more piece of fruit. I'm going downstairs. And I think I know my house. I know my house. I know how many steps we got. And I'm taking them steps and all that stuff. And I don't know where I'm at, so I, I, I go like that. And I still end up falling. Then the Lord tell me, uh, look here, brilliant. Why don't you turn the light on when you're walking downstairs in the middle of the night. That will keep you from falling. I just stopped by today to tell somebody, you've been tripping. Yes, you have. 
You've been hanging with folk you shouldn't be hanging with. You've been dwelling in darkness. But if Jesus is your Lord, he's your nightlight. And he's saying it's time to come up out of there and follow after him and walk like a child of the light. Because if you stay in that darkness, you're going to keep on tripping. After 27 years of ministry, I have overseen more failed marriages than I buried people. I buried more marriages than I buried people. And, and, and adultery is many times one of the reasons why marriages die. But if he's your light, come out of that. He does not condemn you. He forgives you. Now live like you've been forgiven. Live like you've been set free. Don't go back to that. Walk after him and walk in the light. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we thank you for a moment to just look at your son. We don't look at the mob. We don't even look at the lady. We look at Jesus. Because Jesus, you've done that with us. You freed us so that we can go. You said, I don't condemn you. I forgive you. Now go and sin no more. Go and live up to what you've attained. I thank you, Lord, for mercies that are new every morning for all of our messes. Not only the acts of adultery, but the thoughts of adultery and every other sin. I thank you, Jesus, for being so good, like we sang today. Especially when we are so bad. We know better. I'm praying right now, Lord, for some folk in this church. They stopped coming because they've been whoring. We pray for them, God. If they know you, they cannot be satisfied in those pig pens. Lord, would you rescue them? Would you save them? Would they say, Lord, have mercy on me? Help me get out of this mud, this trap, this mess that I've started. For the men, for the women in our body, people who used to be connected to our body, Lord, would you bring freedom? Because we know you saved them that they might walk in freedom. Lord, if they're not saved, may they meet you for real in the midst of the darkness and come on into the light. I pray for those of us who are here, whether we're married or unmarried, that, Lord, you would keep us from falling. As Pastor Jerry alluded to the prayer, Jesus, that you taught the disciples, Lord Jesus, please deliver us from temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. But I'm so glad, Lord, that you're here with us, you're for us, and you're in us. And you do not condemn us. That is our motivation to live for you. Love is our motivation to live for you. So help us to walk out of here, not only encouraged because we're in the light, but help us to walk with a new walk, with a new attitude, a new mindset, because we're new creations in Jesus. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. Lord, we want our joy back. Restore the joy of our salvation to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's non-condemned people said, amen. amen, amen. Come on, give Jesus some praise. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Have a blessed day. Sign up for Wednesday night so we can get enough uh, fried chicken. Uh, what do we have? Uh, sign up for Wednesday so we can take care of you, all right? And we'll see you Wednesday, Lord willing, at 630 right here at the church.